Welcome to the Northway College Podcast. My name is Ryan, and I serve as college pastor here at Northway. And you are listening to sessions from our college retreat 2021. And at the retreat, our theme was the Shema. And the Shema was a, a prayer that was recited daily by the Jewish people. And it derives from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. And it says this. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And so our retreat over three sessions, we we discussed this these verses, this prayer, and what it means for us today. Sessions one and two, we had Adam Tarver, who's the college pastor at Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Athens, come and speak, and he did an incredible job. And then I wrapped up the retreat with session three. We did have some technical issues with the audio. So a couple of the sessions in the beginning, there are some issues, but it, it smooths out pretty quick. And then we had a little bit of trouble at the end of one of the sessions as well. But all in all, we were able to get most of it and, and have it put up for our podcast. So with that, we hope that you enjoy it. We hope that it is encouraging and beneficial for your life. Is everybody familiar with the uh, figure of speech? It's kind of like drinking out of a fire hydrant. Have you heard this figure of speech before? Meaning like a lot of information is coming at you at uh, one time. Well, full disclosure, that might be what this feels like this morning. Okay, so I hope you're prepared. I know you stayed up really late, but hopefully you got caffeinated and you're ready to go. Because what we have to do next in talking about this prayer is we have to tackle two topics that come next. The first thing that we're going to talk about is this term Yahweh. We've got it on the screen. You may have heard this before. I think we have it on the screen. Maybe we don't have it on the screen, that's fine. We have the term Yahweh, okay, which is the divine name of God. So we're talking about, there we go, there it is. This is Yahweh, it is the divine name of God. So we've got to talk about this, and there is endless significance to this name. This is the personal name of God. We refer to him as God, but God's kind of like what he is. Yahweh is who he is. You understand that? God's kind of like a title. Yahweh is his name, and there is endless significance significance to this name. There's actually a school of Hebrew thought that talks about how this name was not even meant to be spoken. It was meant to be breathed, right? That, that you would say the first part as an inhale and you would say the last part as an exhale. That it would go like this, Yahweh. That it was the breath that we breathed and the significance of that being that God breathed life into our lungs and from our first breath to our last breath, his name is always on our lips, whether we want it to be or not. This is God's divine name. So we've got to talk about that. And the second thing that we've got to talk about is the second word that comes in the prayer, and it's the word ahava. Ahava, and it's the Hebrew word for the word love, okay? And so what we're talking about this morning is who God is and how he loves us. There is so much here. It's going to be a packed Saturday morning as we talk about these things together. But guys, these things are so significant because what we're going to understand this morning is the why behind the listening, right? I told you last night that it's so important that we hear to respond. But if you're like me in the room, whenever you hear a command, whenever you're told something to do, you're always asking the question, well, why? That's me, right? Like, if you tell me I've got to do something and the logic doesn't make sense to me, I'm going to question your logic until it makes sense or I'm just not going to do it, 
right? That's been me since I was a little kid. It drives my wife crazy. She's a type one on the Enneagram, rule follower to a T, and I drive her nuts. So you guys can pray for her. But maybe that's you in the room as more this morning as well. But So we need to talk about the why. And what we're going to see this morning is that we need to move from just listening to loving. We need to move from listening to loving. What we will see this morning is that we don't need to just listen and obey out of obligation, but we need to listen out of love for the one who is speaking. And so my heart for you this morning, my desire for you this morning is to help you move from listening to loving. And the only way that that will happen is if you understand who it is that is speaking to you. Who is this Yahweh, and how does he love you? So we're going to talk about who God is. And the best way that I know how to do that, the best way that I know how to talk about who God is, is to take some time, some real time, to talk about what he has done. We're going to talk about the character of God as displayed through his actions towards us, the things that he has done for you and for me. And the way we're going to do this is we're going to look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and join me there. Ephesians is in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians. Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers in the old city of Ephesus. Okay, and we're going to be in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. But we're just going to read the first three verses first, talk about that for a moment, and then we'll read the last six verses. So, Ephesians 2. Verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read it. It's going to be behind me on the screens. It says this. It says, And you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And I want you to stop right there. And I want us to key in on these three verses. I know those are some really depressing verses. And I just told you that we're going to spend some time talking about the character of God and talking about the love with which he loved us. And it may sound odd. It may seem odd to stop just after these three depressing verses. But I want you to hang in with me here. I want us to talk about these three verses because we must understand the truth of these verses if we ever want to understand the vastness of God's love for us. All right, here's what I want you to understand from the get-go this morning. This is going to be on the screens behind me. That to understand the magnitude of God's love for us, we must first understand the magnitude of our sin against God. To understand the magnitude of God's love for us, we've got to understand the magnitude of our sin against God. Another way to put that is that to understand and to fully appreciate the good news of the gospel, we have to understand where we're at before the gospel. We have to understand the weight of our sin. And I understand these are not fun things to talk about. The topic of sin is not the most popular thing to talk about, but we've got to talk about this and understand this if we truly want to understand who God is and 
what he has done, if we want to revel in his love for us, we need to understand the magnitude of our sin against him. And these three verses help us do just that. What we see in these verses is that prior to a relationship with Jesus, before we enter into a relationship with Jesus, that we are all dead in our sins. Get that, dead. Paul uses that word very intentionally, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, not just a little dirty, not just a little messed up, not just in need of repair, but dead upon arrival, that whenever we are born into this world, we are born spiritually dead, that we are spiritually lifeless and spiritually helpless, that we are dead and can do nothing about our present condition. The text tells us that every single one of us is born this way. Every single one of us used to walk this way, not just the worst of society, but every single one of us is born into this reality. And to understand why that is true, you need to understand a little bit of theology, okay? This is a product of what theologians call the fall, okay? If you know anything about your Bible, you know that Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and we see in it, in Genesis 1 and 2, the creation of all things. We're introduced to the main character of the narrative. We're introduced to this almighty, all-powerful God who speaks and sends galaxies spinning into motion who forms everything that we know, everything that we experience. And we see him form mankind in his own image and breathe life into his lungs. That the breath of God is our life source and we are meant to find our joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in him. We're meant to walk in relationship with him. And what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is a beautiful picture of God's desire for you and me. But what we know is that that beauty lasts just for a moment in Scripture. Because in Genesis chapter 3, what we see is the enemy come in and tempt mankind and begin to lie to mankind and convince the man and the woman that God is holding back on them, that they have everything in front of them, that they can eat of any tree in the garden, but God has placed one tree with one fruit and said, do not eat from this. If you eat from this, you will surely die. And the enemy comes in and says, no, no, no. God knows that if you eat from that, you'll be like him. God's holding back on you. And so what happens in this moment of doubting God's goodness. What the enemy does is sows a seed of doubt in mankind and begins to make mankind think that God is holding something back from them. And because of that, they rebel against God. They eat the fruit of the one tree that God told them not to eat of. Get this, y'all, that in a garden full of yes, they chose the one no. They chose the one no. They pursued the one thing that God said, this is not good for you. Do not pursue this. But they did not believe God, and that lack of belief led to their rebellion. 
And that rebellion was the first sin and brought sin into the world, brought sin into the equation. And because of that, everything evil followed. Everything that is dark, everything that is against what God intended is a product of sin in the world. And sin damaged relationship with God. Because of that choice, we all now live in a sinful world and we follow the course of this world. We follow the prince of the power of the air. That same enemy that tempted them in the Garden of Eden is the same enemy that tempts you. It's the same enemy that tries to get you to believe that God's holding back on you. It tries to sow seeds of doubt in your mind as well. And because of sin, we are all born into this world, and our nature is to be a child of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's all of our stories, every single one of us. You and me included. I'm not exempt from this. Ryan's not exempt from this. This is every single one of our stories. We are all, by nature, born as children of wrath. And you may hear that, and you may say, hold on. Adam, that seems a little intense. Like, come on, bro. Like, I I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I've made mistakes, but a child of wrath? Like, that seems intense. Like, surely that's not the case for me. I I try my best to be a good person. I try my best to do well. Like, surely my sin doesn't deserve wrath. And I think many of us think that way. Like, if we're being honest, we might not ever say it out loud, but we really do think that. We think that our sins aren't that really, really big of a deal. And we think that because our sins aren't that bad, that we aren't really deserving of God's wrath. We have this idea that our sins aren't really that bad, and if we think that way, then we don't really understand the wrath of God. But I'd also tell you that if you think that way, then you also don't fully appreciate God's love, because you don't understand why it's necessary. And as much as I possibly can this morning, I want us to talk about this. I want us to talk about our sin and what it causes. So I've asked my friend Ryan to help me out with an illustration again. Ryan, you've been such a good assistant this weekend. I'm so thankful for you. Give it up for Ryan, ladies and gentlemen. It's incredible. What we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of a word study on the word sin. Okay, we're going to talk about what sin is and what it causes. The first thing that you need to know about sin is that sin means, in the original language, it means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. It was originally an archery term. So it comes with a little bit of a visual illustration as well. So Ryan's hanging a target up here. We can all kind of picture this, right? I don't know if we have any archers in the room. I'm not an archer. I thought about bringing a bow and arrow, but figured Northway wouldn't want me shooting arrows in their worship center. So, didn't do that. But we can picture a target, right? And the idea behind sin is missing the mark, meaning you miss the target. That's pretty easy for us to wrap our minds around, right? Like, you you follow me? Everybody with me? Missing the mark, missing the target. You take aim, you shoot, you miss. That's sin. That's missing the mark. I think we all kind of understand that. Right, like we, we kind of get that. You might not have known the archery bit behind it, but if you've been in church at all, like you kind of get the idea of sin, that sin's messing up, that sin's missing the mark, that sin is falling short. The question becomes, I think the problem that we have is that we don't understand what the target actually is. Ryan, bring that next one up. I think that a lot of times, if we're being honest, we think the target is society's design. We think the target is society's design, or what society says the world should be like. And if we think that's the target, then we're always comparing ourselves to what society says. 
We're comparing ourselves to what the culture says. We're comparing ourselves to what the world around us says, to what other people are doing. And so what happens is we look at our lives and we compare it against the lives of those around us. And we think, yeah, like I know I'm not perfect. I know I've messed up, but I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that girl. I haven't done that. I haven't done this. Like, I, I surely, I, I know I've messed up. Like, sure, I've, I've done some things wrong, but it's not like I've killed anybody. It's not like I've robbed a bank. It's not like I've stolen a large sum of money, right? Like, I know I'm, I'm not that big. I'm not uh, perfect, but, I, like, I surely, it, my sin doesn't deserve wrath because what are we doing? We're comparing ourselves to other people. And I'm here to tell you that if this is the target, if society's design is the target, then you're probably not doing that bad. You're probably pretty close to a sinner. Sure, you've messed up a little bit, but you're not terrible people. But here's the deal. Biblically speaking, this isn't the target. The target is what Ryan's got in his hand now. The target is God's perfect design. The target is God's perfect design. It isn't society's expectations or demands. It's God's expectations and demands. And what we see in the Bible is that we are meant to live and dwell with God, to walk with him in holiness, to walk with him in blamelessness and in purity, and to walk with him in relationship with him. But whenever we begin to see that this is his standard of affection, it's not society's, it's the target. Whenever we see that, we see that we are nowhere near the mark. You understand that? That we're nowhere near God's perfect design. You might not be that bad in the eyes of society, but there's no way that any one of us can live up to God's perfect standard. Just think about this, okay? Let's think about this biblically, right? Like, I've got two examples. Number one, the way that we treat other people, okay? Think about the way that we treat other people. What does society say? Society says, hey, hey, love those who love you. Treat others well whenever they treat you well. But as soon as someone crosses you, as soon as someone comes against you, society would tell you to go get yours. Like they come against you, you go against them. They say something poorly about you, you say something poorly about them. They blast you on social media, you blast them on social media. You protect what's yours, you protect your reputation. You stand up for what's right, and it sounds good, it sounds virtuous, but it's not God's perfect design. What the Bible tells us about how we're to treat other people is that we're to honor all people, not just those who do good to us, but we're meant to love our enemies as well. And we're to speak life and light and encouragement in all situations, that we're never meant to talk poorly about another human being regardless of what they've done to us because we realize that our words carry weight, that our words carry power, and we're meant to use our words rightly in a way that brings honor to the Lord and blesses those around us. We're meant to bless people because we believe that people are made in the image of God, and regardless of whether or not we like them, we believe that Jesus Christ died to save them. It's a very hard target to hit. Society's design's easy. God's perfect design's not. Think about it in the realm of purity, right? society's design for purity, virtually non-existent, right? Like anything goes, as long as you're not hurting someone else, right? You can do whatever you want. God's design for purity says that sexuality is to exist in one place in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's it. That even to look or think at another person with lust in your heart is to commit adultery against them and adultery against God. That's a really hard target to hit. 
That's a really hard target to hit. Society's design is easy. God's design is incredibly difficult. And whenever we begin to see this, whenever we begin to see that there is no way that we could ever measure up, and we begin to understand the truths of Scripture like Romans 3.23, that we have all, every single one of us, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the target. We're nowhere near the sinner. And because of that, we are children of wrath, deserving nothing but God's punishment. And I understand that whenever I say that, that opens up an entire other can of worms. Right? Like, because even if we begin to understand our sin more rightly, and we begin to understand that sin is against God, and that sin is against Him, and that, that we're missing the mark, we still sometimes have an issue with God's wrath. And we begin to ask the question, like, how could a good and loving God have so much wrath? And what you need to understand is that God is good, yes, but God is also just, meaning that He demands payment for wrongdoing. He does not overlook wrongdoing. That would not be justice, okay? And God is just, and wrongdoing against him deserves punishment. It deserves punishment, okay? The best analogy that I've ever heard, I'm just going to share this one analogy with you for, to understand this a little bit better. Um, what, what's your name? You're, Elena. I'm not, you, you don't have to come up here. You can just stay right there. So Elena. Elena, you, we're going to pretend for a moment. Let's say it for a second. That I'm standing up here, I'm teaching, and I say something that Elena really doesn't like. And she gets up, and she comes up on the stage, and she just slaps me across the face. Like, full-on smacks me across the face. Like, this is like Kanye taking the mic from Taylor Swift on a whole new level, right? Like, she comes up, and she just smacks me. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to be really awkward, right? And I honestly don't know if I could recover from that. I think we might just end the session and everybody would go home. Like, I don't think I could keep preaching after that. And Elena and I probably wouldn't be friends after that. Like, I don't know. It would be kind of awkward, but by and large, life would go on, you know? Like, we're not going to be friends if you smack me, Elena, but, you know, you'll live, I'll live, we'll be fine. All right, let's take it a step further. Let's say that Elena leaves here. She's driving down 475. She's going 90 down 475. GSP lights her up, and she's just in a slapping mood, y'all. And she gets mad at the GSP officer for, for trying to write her a ticket, and she reaches out of her car, and she smacks that police officer right across the face. What do you think is going to happen? It's a little bit of a bigger deal, right? Like, that's assaulting a police officer. Elena's probably going to jail. Like, this is a bigger deal. Okay, let's take it up an even further step, okay? Let's say for some reason, Elena gets the opportunity to travel to a foreign country. And she gets the opportunity to stand before the king of this foreign country. And she doesn't like the king's shoes. And so she looks at the king and she gets mad at the king and she slaps the king in the face. Right across the face. Just real good right hook. Right in the face. What do you think is going to happen? Depending on the country, depending on the laws of the land, Elena's probably going to die. What we see in these three instances is that the offense didn't change. It was always a slap in the face. The magnitude of the offense didn't change, but the magnitude of the the one offended changed. That the more important the person, the more severe the punishment. And when we're talking about sin, we're not talking about missing the mark, we're not talking about sin against yourself. We're not talking about sin against other people. Those are bad in and of themselves. But all sin is not just against you. It's not just against the world around you. It's against the one who made you. It's against the God who created you. It's against God's 
perfect design. And because God is just, he demands payment for sin. And whenever we see that, we can understand that more rightly. And what the Bible tells us is that the payment of sin, the wages of sin is death. It's death because of the magnitude of the one offended. So what I want you to understand this morning is that our sins are measured by God's perfect design, not society's. Your sins are a sin against a holy and righteous and mighty God, not just the world around you. And whenever you begin to see that, you begin to understand that we are all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. On our own, we are lost and without hope. And I know that sounds depressing, and you may be wondering, who in the heck is this guy that Ryan brought in to speak talking about these depressing things? But I want you to feel this this morning. I spent so much time on this because I want you to feel it. I want you to feel the weight of your sin. This is not just true for humanity at large. This is true for you. Your sin is against a holy and mighty God, and it deserves his just wrath. I want you to feel the weight of that. And I want you to understand that if that's where our story ended, it would be tragic, but God would still be good. God would still be just because he did the thing that he needed to do. He punished that which was wrong. But what I want you to understand is that we must understand the magnitude of our sin because whenever we understand the magnitude of our sin, we can fully appreciate the magnitude of God's love because the really good news, y'all, is that the story doesn't end there. It doesn't stop there. And whenever you feel the weight of your sin, the next words that Paul says in this letter are that much more glorious. So feel it. Feel it. Engage in this with me. Feel the weight of your sin. And then listen to these words as I read them over you, as we introduce the main character, Yahweh, our great God, and talk about what he has done. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even whenever we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He's raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is good news. That is the good news of the gospel. I want you to see what Paul says about our God. This God, Yahweh, whom we have all offended. This God whom we have all rebelled against, insulted, and turned from time and time again. Refuses to leave us in the condition that we created for ourselves. You realize that this is our problem, not his. And he refuses to leave us there. In our rebellion, in our sin, in our hopeless, hopelessness, God does not turn 
away from us. Instead, he moves towards us. He extends his hand to us. He does not run away from us, but he steps in. He doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up first, to present ourselves in any kind of way, but he steps into our darkness and steps into our brokenness and walks alongside us. Understand that what the gospel tells us is that God saw our sinful state. He saw the road that we had created for ourselves, where we were headed, and he was not surprised, but he had a plan. And his plan was for our redemption and for our salvation, that out of great mercy and out of the great love with which he loved us, he moved towards us. That God took on flesh in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. He did not distance himself from our reality. He stepped into it himself. And Jesus Christ took on flesh, was born of a virgin, not under the curse, but under the spirit. And he lived a perfect life. The only being to ever walk this earth without sin. And how was he repaid for it? He was reviled. He was mocked, he was chastised, and he was eventually crucified. He was nailed to the cross. He hung naked in a place of shame and took on that pain. And in that moment, in the cross at Calvary, God placed upon him the penalty for our sins. The penalty has been paid in full because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Get this, you and I deserve death because of our wrongdoing. But Jesus walked a perfect life here on earth and died a death on the cross and took our place so that we could stand in his. Because he did not remain dead. He was killed. He was crucified that day. He was laid in the tomb. But three days later, he rose from the grave that he conquered He conquered disease. He conquered death. Sin was crushed. The curse was broken. And the kingdom of light began to advance. And he now stands in victory. And if we place our faith in him, if we surrender our lives to him, then we can receive the forgiveness of our sins and we can be brought from death to life that he breathes new life into our lungs he breathes on us anew and we receive the gift of life eternal we get to be set free and no longer walk in darkness but walk in his marvelous light we get to be a part of his kingdom advancing here on earth realize that this is not just the story of all humanity this is a story for you personally He did this for you. He desires relationship with you. This is the God you are called to listen to. This is the God who calls you into relationship. And whenever you see that, whenever you see the great love with which he loved us, you begin to see that listening to this God is not drudgery. It's delight. Listening to this God is not drudgery. It's delight because you realize that you're not coming to listen and obey some cosmic slave master. You're listening and obeying the king of the universe who loves you beyond compare. And my heart for you this morning is for you to experience that love personally. Don't just think about it theoretically. Don't just think about it in terms of the entire world. It's for you He cares about you. He died for you. He took on your sins so that you could be made alive. Whenever you realize that, it changes everything about how you live and how you move in this world. God's love is incredible. 
I want you to see three quick things about God's love. Three quick things that God's love does for us. Three quick things and then we'll be done. Okay? The first thing that we see from this passage is that God's love regenerates. God's love regenerates. We talked about this idea already a little bit, right? That Paul tells us that our sin makes us dead and that there's nothing that we could ever do to fix that condition. Dead people can't do anything about their deadness, right? That sin leaves us spiritually dead. But if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, if we believe and call upon his name, if we trust and follow him, then we, like Jesus, can be made new. We can be brought back to life. We, too, experience a resurrection. What you need to understand is that dead souls come alive in the name of Jesus. Dead souls come alive in the name of Jesus. You're given new life. You are brought out of darkness and into light. You are restored and redeemed. You are set free from the powerful, the power of sin. And the greatest part about this is that it's a free gift from God. What you need to understand about God's love is that you could never earn it. You could never deserve it. It's not a result of anything good in you. It's a result of the goodness of God. He loves you and he extends this gift to you as a free gift. One of my favorite theologians and pastors, Jonathan Edwards, said it this way. He said, you contributed nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. You contributed nothing to your salvation except for the sin that made it necessary. This regeneration is a free gift from God to all who believe and call upon his name. We are made alive in the name of Jesus, and we can begin to live the new life that he has called us to. We receive fresh breath in our lungs, and we are empowered to live life anew. God's love regenerates. The second thing that we see is that God's love redefines. God's love redefines. Whenever we experience God's love for us, it redefines who we are. Whenever we come to faith in him, whenever we experience the gift of salvation, all of a sudden we're no longer children of wrath. We are children of God. We're not agents of darkness, but we're agents of light. We're not sons and daughters of disobedience, but we're sons and daughters of the Most High King. The text tells us that we are no longer bound by darkness and death anymore, but because of God's grace towards us that we are seated with Christ Jesus, meaning that you are not defined by your failures and shortcomings anymore, that you are defined by his victory. I want you guys to understand this. This is a big part of the gospel, and I spend a lot of my time talking to college students, believing that they're not good enough, and they're defining themselves by their failures. They're defining themselves by their shortcomings. I know what that's like. I've done that. I've been there. We all have brokenness in our past. We've all done things wrong. We've all fallen short of God's perfect design. But what I'm telling you is that if you are joined in relationship with Jesus Christ, if you surrendered your life to him, then he makes you into something new. And God the Father, whenever he looks at you, he does not see your failures and shortcomings anymore. He does not define you by that which you did wrong in the past. Whenever he looks at you, he sees his son or his daughter with whom he is well pleased. He sees the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, and he delights in you. He chooses not to define you by your failures anymore, which means you shouldn't either. You get to walk in freedom. He redefines you. He repurposes you. He tells us in this text that we are his masterpiece, that we are created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. God's love redefines us. And lastly, what we see is that God's love repurposes. God's love repurposes. On our own, before Jesus, we are only capable of breeding more death and more darkness. 
But whenever we come to Jesus, whenever we submit our lives to him, we who were once children of darkness now become children of light. We who once advanced the kingdom of darkness now get to be a part of advancing the kingdom of light. We who once celebrated our own glory and our own pursuits now get to celebrate the glory of God and be a part of his kingdom and his pursuits. God changes us from the inside out. He creates in us a desire for more than simply advancing ourselves. He creates in us a desire to advance God's kingdom. What you need to see is that whenever you experience God's love, you will be motivated to join in God's work. When you experience God's love, you will be motivated to join in God's work. The text tells us that we were saved for good works, not from good works, but for good works. He takes us and makes us into something beautiful, and he uses us to display his glory and to move towards others for their good. Whenever we receive this love from God, we are meant to extend this love from God. As we experience his love, we're meant to move out into the world differently, to love him in return and to pursue others out of the same love with which he loved us. That's what you're going to talk about tonight. Whenever Ryan comes to speak tonight, that's the idea behind what tonight's all about. Our response to this love shown to us. But this morning, I just want us to take a moment to revel in this good news. To appreciate the glorious truth that God loves us. Yahweh loves us. And he has done everything so that we may be brought into relationship with you, that this is the God that you are called to listen and obey. He is not some heartless tyrant. He is mighty, he is holy, he is just, yes, but he is also merciful, he is gracious, he is kind, and he loves you beyond compare, and he invites you into relationship with him. Listening and obeying this God is not drudgery. It's light. Whenever you view him rightly, you can move from just listening to actually loving. And I pray that you know this God. I pray that you know this Yahweh, that you are actually in right relationship with, you, with him because he is a personal God who loves you and desires to breathe fresh life into your life as well.